Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. I have two readings. Uh, One is a short reading from the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to be reading from Titus chapter 2. First reading then comes from Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. It says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Our second reading is from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Paul is writing to his friend Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, And submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for, the, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's come now to uh, the message. And as uh, Phil already mentioned to us, uh, we're going to just do one more week in this series in Proverbs, and then we're going to start a new series. I'll tell you about it next week. I am really excited about it. But there's one more topic that I want to look at in Proverbs because it's saying to us that if we want our lives to go well, uh, if we don't want to wreck our lives, if we want to live our lives to God's glory and to honor him, then there is another subject which I just thought this has tremendous practical application about how to live a wise life, and that topic is self-control. And Proverbs, as you saw, describes self-control like walls around a city. Now, I am very aware of the fact that as soon as I've said to you, or Phil already said it, that if our topic today is self-control, you're not probably exactly jumping up and down. You're not, you know, calling for someone who's a little late to the service. Hey, get in here. Do you know what he's talking about today? We cannot miss this. I don't think anyone's responding that way. No, this is probably one of the least exciting subjects that when you hear this is announced to be preached on, you're like, really? I mean, some of the other ones are pretty good. I don't know. This one doesn't sound great to finish on. Let me tell you why you might think that or why you might not think this is an exciting or practical subject. It's because of the culture that we all live in. All cultures tend either to asceticism or hedonism. Let me define those. Asceticism, a culture that is more ascetic, says that if you want to live your best life, the best way to live a human life is actually to deny your desires. 
to push your desires down, to totally avoid things like self-indulgence. So in those kind of more ascetic cultures, the heroes of the culture are people who would, for instance, fast from food for long periods of time, who are give away all their money and are dirt poor because they're seeking some higher purpose for existence, and especially those who would give up the pleasures of life like marriage, children, and sex. That's a culture that leans more toward asceticism. Now, hedonism is the other end of the spectrum. Hedonism says, no, 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 very opposite. If you want to live your best life, you want to truly experience life, throw off all restrictions. Take your desires and enjoy them. Pursue them. Indulge in them. Soak up everything you possibly can out of life. So there's this spectrum for cultures from asceticism all the way towards hedonism. So here's the question for us, real tough one. Is Canadian culture more prone to asceticism or to hedonism? On that spectrum, which way do we think we go? And this, this isn't even a debate, is it? I don't think we need any discussion. We definitely tend more toward hedonism. In fact, within our culture, our culture says, follow your desires. Our culture even says, your desires are who you truly are. You should even identify yourself with your desires. So what our culture then says is, if you want to live your best life, then you need to be true to yourself. And to be true to yourself means you do not ever suppress your desires. Rather, you pursue and indulge in the desires of your heart. Now, the Bible speaks to both cultures. The book of Colossians, for instance, will speak to a culture that is more ascetic in nature. But what does the Bible have to say to cultures that are more hedonistic? It has a lot to say, and it speaks directly into it. And one of the best letters you can read in the whole Bible on this is Paul's letter to Titus, which had a section, we just had a section read for you. Titus was a pastor on an island in Greece. Now, if you know anything about Greece, what kind of culture do you think they are more like? Oh, definitely more hedonistic, right? And they were in ancient times as well. He was, uh, he was pastoring a church on a little island called Crete, and even the Cretans themselves boasted that they were lazy gluttons. In other words, what they were saying was, listen, you want to come and hang out in our culture on our island? This is where it's at. We don't work too hard. We like to eat a lot. We like to party a lot. We like to drink a lot. We enjoy our lives, I think if you went to one of their parties, I think they're probably their anthem theme song was that old Cheryl Crow song where she sings, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. I think that was their anthem. That was their party song. And that's the, the culture that Paul writes his letter to Titus in. This is where Titus is pastoring within this kind of a culture. So when Paul wants to write a letter to Christians and to a pastor who are living in a culture like our Canadian culture that tends more towards hedonism, what is one of the key things that Paul thinks needs to be emphasized? Self-control. I don't know if you noticed it coming up all through the reading, but just quickly, Titus 1 verse 8, Paul gives the qualifications for an overseer, which is a pastor, and he says this, an overseer must be, one of the things, must be self-controlled. Then in chapter 2, we just read a whole section, listen to all this, older men are to be self-controlled, 2 verse 2, 2 verse 3, older women are to train the young women to be self-controlled. Moving along, chapter 2, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared to us, training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So in other words, what this is saying is it doesn't matter if you're old or you're young, you're male, you're female, you're a leader in the church, or you're just a person who lives within this kind of a culture. One of the most important aspects of following Christ and of living a wise life is self-control. So maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't, this is not too exciting of a subject to me. I hope to show you this morning that indeed it's not that exciting but it's one of the most critical, one of the most important, and I might say to you, one of the most urgent subjects for anyone living within Canadian culture today. So let's dig in, back into the book of Proverbs and see what it means to live wisely and what it means when Proverbs talks about the walls of self-control. So don't go to sleep, no sleeping, all right? 
I'm going to show you how important this is. All right, here's the first thing Proverbs says to us is this. Wake up. Wake up. The walls are for your freedom. The walls of self-control are for your freedom. As I've said to us, we are preconditioned in our culture to think of something like self-control as negative, as restrictive. But Proverbs says, wake up. These walls of self-control, yes, they restrict, but they restrict only to protect your freedom and to protect your life. So let's look at Proverbs 25 and verse 28. A man or a woman without self-control is like something, is like a city broken into and left without walls. So your life, my life, is compared to a city. And if you lack self-control, Proverbs is saying, you are like a city that doesn't have any walls around it. Now, I know in our day and age, when as soon as that word wall comes, we think of one thing and one thing only, right? Donald Trump. Okay, so Donald Trump's not here anymore, so we can move on from that. We're not thinking of Donald Trump. Let's try to go back into an ancient mindset. Think of the ancient city of Jerusalem, even if you've seen pictures of the walls around the city. If you've been to Europe, any of the castles in Europe, same thing. Think of a castle with all the walls that encircle the castle. And of course, such walls were absolutely essential to life in any ancient culture. Absolutely essential because if your city did not have any walls, what's going to happen? Your enemies, the invading armies, are going to come to attack you and they're going to be like, no walls? Well, this is easy. And they're just going to come right into your city and they are going to destroy your city or they might just take you off and enslave you. Walls, yes, they're restrictive. Yes, they're boring. But walls are there to protect life and to enhance freedom. I think the, probably the greatest example of this, of course, is the Great Wall of China. That wall doesn't just protect one city. That wall protects an entire country. When we were in Beijing to adopt our son Josh, uh, we got to go to a section of the Great Wall and to climb it. And it is quite a climb because, as you know, it goes up and down according to the terrain. Unfortunately, it was a very foggy day, so we did not get that, those great views. But here's just a quick picture of us on the Great Wall of China. Here's Josh, only 18 months. Isn't he cute? There's Emmy. She's now 16. I think she was 8. Isn't she cute? They're all so cute. They're my kids. I'm a little bit biased. Now, I want to show you one more picture. And this one? This is bonus material, has nothing to do with the sermon. We're going up the wall, and here is this sign. Heart, cerebral disease sufferer, ascend the great wall to please watch for. <laughs> Isn't that great? The English translation, somehow, I don't know, if you have the disease of having your head within your heart, then as you ascend the great wall, please watch for. I don't know what you're watching for, but... That's entirely bonus material. I just thought it was so funny as we were walking up the wall, and it's one of the most prominent signs that you can come to. I just had to throw it in there. So enough of the bonus material. The Great Wall of China is, of course, one of the great Chinese accomplishments. I mean, it is one of the greatest undertakings of any civilization in the entire history of the world. It took centuries to build the Great Wall. And if you've been there or if you've seen it at all, you know that, it, of course, because it follows the train, it ends up getting very long. It's 21,000 kilometers long. To put that into perspective, that is like building a wall all the way across Canada, then all the way back, then all the way back across Canada, and then halfway back. Three and a half times the distance of Canada is the Great Wall of China. Now, why did the Chinese put so much effort into building the Great Wall? And the answer should be obvious. It was to protect their freedom and their very lives from their enemies who were seeking to invade them from all around. They invested all of this effort, all this money and all this time to protect themselves. That is what self-control is. That is what Proverbs is saying. It is a wall. It is meant to protect your life. It is meant to keep ensuring that you are free and not enslaved to something else. Saying no to certain things, to certain desires in your life, is meant to enable you to live freely. So without self-control, if we don't have self-control in our lives, it's like having no wall around the city of our lives and without a wall, 
We are easy prey to any invading army. Way back in 1846, a pastor named Charles Bridges wrote these words. It's a bit of old English, so I'll recap it, but it's really good. He that has no rule over his own spirit is an easy prey to an invader. He who has no self-control, easy prey to an invader. He yields himself to the first assault of his ungoverned passions, offering no resistance, having no discipline over himself. Temptation becomes the occasion of sin and hurries him along, hurries him on to fearful lengths that he had not contemplated. Do you see what Bridges is saying? You have no self-control. You are easy prey, like a city without walls, when an army, when your desire, sinful things come towards your life. If you don't have self-control, you offer no resistance whatsoever. You give in quickly to those desires. Those desires become sin. And here's the big key line here. You suddenly find yourself, eventually down the road, doing things which you never contemplated you would ever do originally. So you think of a single young man growing up. He would never dream that he would ever hit his girlfriend or his wife. But he doesn't deal with his impatience. He lets his anger go. And his impatience turns to anger. His anger eventually turns to rage. And he does things that he never, ever would have contemplated when he was just an impatient young man. Think of a woman on her wedding day. She would never contemplate of ever cheating on her husband. But when she lacks self-control, she allows certain desires to go. She lacks self-control in the time she spends with other men. And eventually she finds herself doing things that on her wedding day she never would have contemplated at all. Having no discipline over himself or herself, temptation becomes the occasion of sin and hurries him on to fearful lengths that he had not previously contemplated. We all know, I think, what this means. Just in our own lives, we know what it means when the city of our life is beginning to burn. Because without self-control, maybe we said words. We should have self-control. We should have bit our tongue. But we said words, and those words caused a lot of damage, and it's destroyed a relationship. Without self-control, we spend too much money And we may find ourselves in absolute financial ruin, totally unsure what we should do. Without self-control, we lusted again and looked at images that we should not have. And now we're sitting in the rubble of our own sin and our own shame. So when you find yourself, when you find yourself a little bit in ruins, when your life is falling apart, if it's because of actions that you have done that, you know, that not something that's been done to you, but something you've done, track that back. Trace it back. Trace back the actions. Trace back the thoughts and the desires. And what you will discover is, almost always, it gets traced back to a lack of self-control in one or another area of your life. So listen, like I said, this is not an exciting topic. Think of it like in sports, right? Like if you watch sports highlights, it's almost always offensive plays. Of a great goal that got scored, every once in a while you get a defensive play, but almost always it's offense because offense is exciting. It's not exciting to just watch a person block a shot of some kind, right? Or you think about in war, in any movie, it's always shaped around some great sword fight or the sound of a thousand men on horseback charging with their cavalry. It's all offense. That's exciting. There's no movie about all the intricacies of how to build a wall around a city to defend it. It would not be very exciting. That's why I say self-control, it's not an exciting subject. It's not offensive in nature. Oh, but in sports, is defense important? You bet it is. Are walls important to a battle? Oh, yes, they are. It's not the exciting side of it all, but it's just as important as anything else. We live in a culture that says, tear down the walls. You have a desire, pursue the desire. But Proverbs says to us, wake up. The walls of self-control, they are there for your freedom. Self-control is meant to protect you so that you are not easy prey to the invaders. So just like people in ancient times who lived within a walled city can sleep peacefully at night, You too, if you have self-control, will sleep peacefully. Your mind will not be consumed trying to figure out all the damage from the relationships if you have self-control. 
Or like in ancient times, the people lived within walled cities. They got to live free lives. Absolute freedom within those walls and live a free life. Same thing. You live a free life when you exercise self-control and you don't become a slave to the desires that come to try to take you away. So that's the first thing we need to just simply say about Proverbs on this whole topic is wake up. These walls, yes, they're not exciting. Yes, they're restrictive. But the positive is they're there for your freedom. The second thing that Proverbs says to us is this. Watch out. Watch out when the walls have fallen. This is where we're going to get very practical. Look again at Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. We've seen what this means. But of course, if you're going to reflect on this proverb, you're meant to apply it to your life. So this is where this gets very practical. So what I want to do right now, just for a few minutes, is to examine a few areas that the book of Proverbs talks about. Areas where you might say, okay, we'll we'll go through a bunch of them. Maybe you'll say, oh yes, I got self-control there. I got nice high walls. Great. Keep those walls high so you protect your life and your life doesn't get invaded. But maybe one or two of these areas you realize, ooh, the walls are very low. Or maybe the walls have even broken down. As we do this, just pray that the Spirit of God would identify areas where you might need to rebuild the walls as we come to the third point. So here's a little list of things in Proverbs where you can lack self-control and where it's like the walls falling down where invading armies can come in to destroy you. Here's the first area. Anger. Anger. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says this. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. There's no control. Just You feel angry, you just let it out. But a wise man or a wise woman quietly holds it back. They know when to bite their tongue. So ask yourself, do you see in your life a pattern of constant angry outbursts? Do you find relationships are falling apart because you lose your temper too much? Do people always have to monitor your mood when they're around you because they're a little afraid of where you're at and whether the dynamite is about to be lit or the fuse is about to be lit? If so, then maybe there's evidence that there's a section of your wall. Maybe you got great self-control in other areas. But in this area of impatience and of anger, that wall is too low or it's broken down. All it takes for an invading army to come into your life is one section of a wall to be broken down. So we did a whole sermon on this one back in the early section of our study in Proverbs. You can go check it out. But We all know that we do not want anger to invade invade and take over our hearts. For when it does, we know it will burn the city of our lives to the ground. So anger is one of the first areas that Proverbs talks about. Second, gossip or slander. Do you find yourself always talking about other people to other people? (laughs) Are you you often telling stories, negative stories, about some other people behind their back, running people down? What's your speech like when you're talking about others who are not around? Proverbs 11.13 says this, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit, you got walls, you can be trusted with secrets, keeps a thing covered. Keeps a thing covered. Third, gluttony. Hmm, we haven't talked about this one yet. And let me just preface this one. I want to be very careful with this particularly because I don't want to single out people who maybe have weight problems. I don't want to do that. I'll be very careful in this. There are many reasons why people can struggle with their weight, some of which have little or nothing to do uh, with this entire subject. Having said that, we also need to recognize, as all the health authorities do, that gluttony within our own culture is a major problem that causes a lot of health problems. We all know you can literally ruin your health and you can end your life early when you lack self-control in this area. So gluttony is just the lack of self-control when it comes to eating and to drinking. So I know it's not a popular subject, but Proverbs actually talks about gluttony a fair amount. Proverbs 25.16 says this, if you have found honey, in ancient times you'd have to like literally find a honeycomb. If you found it, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it out. 
Once again, Proverbs is, tries to get our attention by being really in our face, very direct. Don't overindulge or it will have negative effects in your life. You'll vomit it out. Not a pleasant picture at all. So the simple question for us to ask ourselves in, okay, let's look at our, our eating habits, our drinking habits. Uh, do we exercise self-control when it comes to our eating? This is meant to protect us, to enhance our freedom, and the wise person does that so they don't ruin their own lives. Fourth, alcohol. We all know, I don't think I should have to tell stories here, but I want to impress this deeply upon us. We all know how alcohol can absolutely destroy people's lives. Let, do I need to give examples of this? And I know that Christians debate whether you can drink in moderation or not, and I don't even want to get into that because what I want to do right now is to emphasize something that every Christian, and particularly here with our family here at Central Baptist Church, we should all agree on and we should all be with. And it is simply this, that we will never, no matter our views on alcohol, be given to drink too much. We will never fall into the sin of drunkenness. And if we even come close to that, we would back off of it. Despite whatever your, your convictions are on this, this is black and white when it comes to living a wise and a godly life. So, for instance, listen to Proverbs 20, verse 21. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. It'll cause fights. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise is not wise. So let me, I want to just press into this a bit because I know in previous generations, especially when Baptist circles or conservative Christian circles, we said no drinking at all. And, and, and now there's kind of debates on whether Christians can drink or not. And if you're in this camp and you think Christians can drink, I'm, again, I'm not even getting into the subject, but you must be crystal clear on exactly how far you can go. And I'm deeply concerned. I've got to share my heart with you on this. I am deeply concerned with the younger generation who sometimes takes this too far. And if you're underage, there should be no drinking, period. If you think that you should be drinking or you can't, you feed them in your conscience, you think that's okay within moderation, make sure it is within moderation. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs, especially those of you who are young. When you are young, you must listen to this wisdom for this can literally destroy your life. How many families are destroyed? How many jobs are lost? How much health is destroyed? Because people have given themselves too much to this. At Central Baptist, let's be a family where this is never an issue at all. Where we are very wise and we build up the walls of self-control so that something like this is not an issue amongst our church family or our immediate families because we want to live wise lives and we want those walls to stand so that the invading armies of alcoholism and all that comes with it, all the abuses, never reap destruction within our church family. Fifth, spending money. The Canadian statistics on things like credit card debt and just overall debt in families and people reveal that we are always spending more money than we actually have. In other words, our desires have not been kept in check. we got to watch out because if there's no self-control there, we all know financial ruin can come upon us, and none of us wants that. We need self-control in how we spend money. And then finally, the whole subject of lust. And this is where, again, I know we're getting heavy this morning, but this, this one just grieves me so much particularly in light of the recent Ravi Zacharias scandal. And if you haven't tracked that, all I can say is you can look up online, but sadly, Ravi is not the man that he showed himself to be. He is nothing less than a sexual predator. And my heart just grieves for the women, the dozens of women who have been abused by him, the amount, the damage that this man has caused us. Many angles, many things could be said, but I want us to say this. I am absolutely convinced that Ravi, as a young man, never set out to say, I'm going to become a sexual predator. I don't think he ever set out to do that. I am sure he never dreamed of it. 
But somewhere along the line, lust was in his heart, and the lustful heart turned into lustful thoughts, were probably turned into looking at certain things or women in certain ways. And there was, a, there was a trajectory, I'm sure, that he followed, and one thing led to another, which led to another, which eventually, in his old age of all times, in his old age, in the last 10 to 20 years of his life, led him to things that he never previously contemplated. Like Bridges said, having no discipline over himself, temptation becomes the occasion of sin and hurries him on to fearful lengths that he had not contemplated. And Proverbs talks about this all the time. Read chapter 5, read chapter 8. Describes a young man who follows his lust and it describes it like stairs that he going down one step after another. And do you know what's at the bottom of the stairs? The grave. And this is where lust will take us. And friends, again, this is where my heart, not just for the Ravi situation. Just look at all of our culture. Look at all of our lives. The walls of self-control have been cast down when it comes to lust and our sexuality. And the invading armies have come into people's lives. How many marriages just get destroyed through lust, through pornography, through affairs? How many children's lives are disrupted because of a lack of self-control in this area? How much of our culture is enslaved to all kinds of desires because it began in the heart? and because our culture actually mocks the walls of self-control in this area. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen. If there is one area where we got to make sure the walls of self-control are strong and are high, it is in this whole area of sexuality, of our desires and our lusts. We've got to make sure that we take care of that area. We could go on with all kinds of areas of lacking self-control, whether it be too much entertainment, just giving ourselves too much time on phones or TVs or movies, whatever. We could go on for some time, but let me pause right here after all this and say, ask you this question. What area is the Holy Spirit maybe speaking to you about right now? Is there something that quickly comes to your mind and you think, yes, the walls have fallen? You've got high walls in other areas, But this one area, the walls have fallen. Can you think of that area? Where where have the walls fallen? Whatever that area is, listen. Watch out. They are coming. The invading armies are pouring through the hole. They will show no mercy. And they will not stop. Sin will not stop until it has burned the city of your life to the ground. And I trust you do not think I'm trying to speak. This is not hyperbole. I am not trying to instill fear in anyone. Just look at all the destruction in all of people's lives around us, maybe in your life. We know, I know this wasn't an exciting subject, but do we not see how practical this is now? Do we not see just grieve in our own hearts of the ways that our own lives have been destroyed, family members' lives have been destroyed? Track it back. It will almost always come back to a lack of self-control in one particular area, in that one particular area, allowed the invading armies to come in and they've just decimated. They've caused so much destruction. Oh, it's not an exciting topic. But could we get more practical than this whole topic? There's some that are as practical, but listen, listen, let's begin with this, these two points. First, wake up. The walls are for our freedom. And then secondly, we've got to watch out where where the walls have fallen. But now, and finally, Proverbs says one final thing to us and it is this. Hurry up, the walls must be rebuilt. You gotta hurry up, you gotta rebuild the walls. We've seen how important this is, and I'm, I'm guessing right now that some of you are feeling, man, this is a bit heavy. But is it practical? Oh, yes, it is. It's heavy. It's practical. But now we're going to turn the corner. What should you do about that area? Maybe where the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on right now in your life. What should you do in this moment? First, you gotta come and confess your sins to Jesus, saying, Jesus, forgive me. Receive the forgiveness and the grace that he offers. And then, get to work, hurry up, start rebuilding the walls. We are in the situation, if you've read the story of the Old Testament, like the whole book of Nehemiah. This is the situation. Get this picture in your mind. You remember, Jerusalem was attacked. It was invaded. It was destroyed. The whole thing to the ground. Nehemiah goes back. They want to rebuild the city, but they do not start by rebuilding the city. They begin first 
by rebuilding the walls. By rebuilding the walls. And it was a hard job. They faced tremendous opposition. If you remember the story, in fact, it got so bad that the builders would have to build with one hand, putting bricks down and such, and hold a sword in the other because there were people trying to attack them to stop them from rebuilding the walls. That is the situation that most of us will find ourselves in. It is not easy to rebuild the walls of self-control. There are so many forces opposing us, attacking us, trying to do this. But if you want to live a wise life, a life that goes well for you, One of the best places you can be in is not rebuilding your life, but rebuilding the walls of self-control that will protect your life as you begin to rebuild it. So how do we do that? How do we rebuild the walls of self-control, particularly if they have fallen? Let me tell you, let me mention two things. First, you must do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the two sides. You must do it But you must do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the first side in the first place. One of the great errors of our modern times within Christianity is in more of a passive attitude. And then we we kind of spiritualize it because we say things like, man, you just got to surrender and just give it to God. Sounds very good, doesn't it? Or, Or the famous phrase, just let go and let God. All of this is passive language saying you don't have self-control. You just got to pray. Just ask God to give it to you. Sometimes it's true that you got to let go and let God. In some situations, not in this one. Not in this one. We are called to act. We don't wait around. We don't just pray a prayer and expect God to do it all. We are called to act. So, for instance, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, we are to work out. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Or Romans chapter 8, verse 13. You put to death the deeds of the body. You must do it. You must work out your salvation. So look at where your your life lacks some self-control. Ask yourself, why is this happening? And then begin to rebuild the walls. What practical steps can you take? What plan can you develop? What strategy can you put in place that can begin to get get self-control in a particular area. It might mean removing certain things. Maybe you need to to get someone else and say, hey, I want to share with you my plan. I want you to to seek some wisdom. Remember Paul in Titus chapter 2, he's saying, older men, teach the younger men. Older women, teach the younger women. So if you're younger, you might say, I want to go to to an older, more mature Christian and say, here's my ideas, help me out. How do I do this? My walls keep falling. How, How did you do it? Help me, help me on this. Share your plan. Make a plan. So you must do it, but you can't do it in your own strength. Let's listen again to Charles Bridges. He says, people may talk of self-control as if the reins were in their own hands. But the person who has been born of the Spirit and taught to know the plague of his own heart is made to feel that effective self-control is God's grace, not one's own natural power. When you know your heart and you know, man, my heart is wicked, and I make all kinds of resolutions and then I don't follow through, you, you say, I need God's grace. We all know this in painful experience. We know how many times we've tried to exercise self-control and we've failed. We know how much we foolishly maybe have spent too much money. We've lusted again when we resolve not to. Back in the drive-thru, eating secretly too much fast food when we shouldn't be doing that. We got angry again and we lashed out, causing great damage to a relationship. And when we reflect on these failures in self-control, it ought to teach us something. What should it teach us? Let's listen to Bridges one more time. This is a good line. Have not repeated defeats taught us the need of calling in better strength than our own? Have not all our repeated failures and defeats and trying to exercise self-control, what has it taught us? That we ought to call in better strength than our own. Has it not taught you this? Oh yes, Mr. Bridges, it has taught us this. Oh yes, we must fight. Yes, we must rebuild the walls. We must make plans, but our repeated failures should teach us something, that we need strength greater than our own. Oh, and praise be to God, there is strength better than our own. And strength is indeed on the way. God has given us his Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to empower us, to equip us to 
exercise self-control. In fact, according to Galatians chapter 5, the Holy Spirit, one of his chief jobs is to produce the fruit of self-control within the life of every single Christian. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us in order to teach us, to equip us to be self-controlled. That's why, let's go back to the same verses, Philippians chapter 2. I didn't give you the whole thing. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You got to do it. Oh, but listen to the next part. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, thanks be to God. He is at work within us as we do this. Same thing with Romans 8, 13. If it says, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice again, you are to do it, but you got to do it by the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. So how do you rebuild the walls of self-control? You must do it, but you do it by the power of the Spirit. Say, Jesus, grant me your power. Enable me to do this. I keep failing, but I need your strength to be able to do it. That's the first thing. Here's the second and the last. Strengthen your heart in the gospel. You, you, you need this so much. you got to strengthen your heart. Come back to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared. That's the gospel. Good news. Bringing salvation for all people. Now here's the self-control part. Training us to renounce. That is to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now just camp out in this for a second. Paul is, of course, calling these Christians in Crete and for us as can, within Canadian culture, saying, you want to live in that kind of culture? It's critical, guys, that you make sure that you renounce ungodliness and world passions. You say no, you live upright and self-controlled lives. But I want you to notice here, amongst this giant no, don't do that, is what Paul's saying, Everywhere around it, I, I show you the whole thing on one screen, everywhere around it is Jesus Christ. Everywhere around it, it's like just soaking in gospel. Everywhere around it is the good news of what God has done and will do for us through Jesus Christ. So the message of Christianity is not just some willpower religion, some self-help psychology saying, just stop what you're doing and do better. That's not what it's saying. What you and I need is strength. And where we get that strength to say no, to have self-controlled lives is through the Jesus Christ, through what God has done for us through him. Notice Paul is writing here to Christians. The gospel message again, as we always say, it's not just for non-Christians to learn how to become saved. That's not, it's that, yes. But the way a Christian grows in self-control is to go deeper and deeper into the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. How does that work? Let me be very practical. Do you see it here? Think, for instance, uh, for instance of your failures in self-control. What is this going to do for you? Oh, you're sitting here maybe this morning already. You're feeling crushed. You're feeling like, oh, man, I, I now see where the walls are down. I see the way that I'm being destroyed in my life. Maybe you are like the prodigal son who took all that early inheritance and it says he went to a far-off country and he squandered in wild living. In other words, he had no self-control. He just gave, his desire, gave, gave himself over to his desires. But eventually he found himself penniless and eating out of a pig trough. Maybe that's the place you find yourself now where you are coming to your senses like he did. And you're like, why did I do all that? How does the good news speak to you in that moment? Well, God's grace has appeared. You, you don't deserve any salvation, but his grace has appeared. So what happens right now when you come before Jesus and you say, I'm confessing my sins. I'm sorry. I see now how wrong. I see how foolish I've been and not, and not having self-control in these areas. What does Jesus say to you? Does Jesus look at you and say, you should have known better? Does Jesus look at you and say, tell you what, come back to me when you can demonstrate for like a even a short period of time, that you actually can exercise some self-control, then we'll talk about our relationship. Is that the kind of God that you find? Oh, no. 
What you find when you are like the prodigal son eating out of the pig trough, when you return to the father, what you find is he's already running towards you. He's embracing you. Even while you're trying to confess your sins, saying, I'm sorry for, he's just saying, get the fattened calf. We're throwing a party. My lost son, my lost daughter is now home. He's embracing you, putting a robe around you, putting his ring on your finger. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. That's the kind of grace that you receive. Oh, what a God of grace. When you've not exercised self-control, Oh, you need to go back and deeper into the gospel. For at high cost to himself, he redeemed you. He redeemed you at high cost. He paid the price so that you can continually be welcomed home. So that's what you do with your failings. That's where going deeper into the gospel enables you to feel this. And what happens in that moment is what? Joy. You, you should you just be like dumbfounded by grace. After what I've done, Jesus, you would receive me. And when that sinks into you, you are so filled with joy. And here is the key to all Christian living, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you are filled with the joy of who God is, you are strong. You do not want those things anymore. You're like, I, I, this joy is so great, I will not give this up for anything. And so you got to keep filling up your joy through the good news of what God has done for you in Christ, for it is the joy of the Lord that's your strength. So that's the first real practical thing. But here's the second and the last thing I'll talk about. Paul also points to the future here, doesn't he? He's not just thinking of what God has done in the past through Christ. He's thinking of the future. And the thinking of the future good news is what also enables us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Notice what he talks about here. He talks about our blessed hope. We are waiting for our blessed hope. And what is that blessed hope? It is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing then. How does filling your heart with that future blessed hope of Jesus appearing, how does that enable you to build the walls of self-control right now in the present? Well, it does at least two things for you. The first is when you think of Christ's second coming, you realize there is a day coming when you won't have to fight these battles anymore. Because this battle of this life can be exhausting. Especially when you've tried to rebuild the walls of self-control so many times and yet again and again you've just let them fall and the armies have come in, done their damage and again you find yourself like the prodigal son in a pig trough. And it, it wears you, it wears you down. The battle can just be so exhausting. And the first thing this tells you is a day is coming when this battle is going to be over. For on that day, more positively speaking, it's not just over on that day, you will be made to be like Jesus himself. You'll be transformed into that person that you've always wanted to be. You'll be exactly like his son, no longer struggling with things like self-control, no longer struggling with any form of sin in your life. So in light of that day then, you think about that blessed hope. Oh, Jesus, I can't wait for that day when the battle will be over. Okay, God, I know that day's coming, so right now I need, to, I need to prepare myself like a bride prepares herself for her wedding day is seeing her groom. She prepares herself, getting ready for that moment. And so we too, right now, we say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving us of our past. Help us in the present to keep these walls of self-control up so that we are living for you. And we cannot wait for the day, Jesus, when you return. And we don't have to do this anymore when we're finally totally free. Oh, Jesus, we want to live in light of that day now. We want to live self-controlled lives now within Canadian culture that is so the opposite of this. Enable us. And so I would suggest to you one of the things you could do is to do a personal study of Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Study it for like a month. Be in it every day, every word. Meditate on everything. Read as much as you can on it. Sit in it and strengthen your heart in this good news. So there you have it. How do you feel about this whole topic of self-control now? I know it's still the defense side. I know it's still not exciting. But I trust you see how absolutely important this is. If you want to live a good life, if you don't want to wreck your life, if you want to live a life that honors God, then listen to Proverbs where it says, wake up, those walls are for your freedom. Watch out when those walls have fallen and then make sure you hurry up 
and rebuild the walls of self-control. Let's pray. Let me just give you a moment right now and confessing your heart, confessing your sins before the Lord, just bring whatever it is that the Spirit has been working in your heart, bring it before God and say, I just want to confess these things where I have allowed the walls to fall. I'll give you a moment to do that. Oh, and the good news, the good news is that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful, that he is just, that he not only forgives our sins, but he cleanses us. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So rejoice now in the good news that if you have turned back toward the Father, the Father's already been running toward you that through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, he embraces you, that you are accepted, that you are loved. We thank you, Father, that this is your character. And now, because you accept us through Christ, enable us to rebuild the walls. Forgive us, O oh God, for how foolish we have been when we've allowed the walls to fall. Father, enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to rebuild those walls, whatever area they may be, even if we've not even talked about it this morning, whatever Spirit of God you are placing on people's hearts right now, enable them, I pray, whoever is watching right now, enable them to rebuild those walls. Give us courage to talk with others about it. Maybe younger people to older, younger women to older women, younger men to older men. Enable us to be a people that are self-controlled. For Jesus, we do believe, we say, your ways are good and they are right. They are for our good. Forgive us when we don't always see that. So enable us, O oh God, to renounce worldly passions, to renounce ungodliness, to say no to those kind of desires. Enable us by your grace and by the power of your spirit to live upright holy, godly, and self-controlled lives within Canadian culture where it is so hard to often do this, but by your power, we can. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.